Great. Well, I've got the uh, privilege this, uh, this afternoon of sharing some thoughts with you on this idea of adoption. thought, well, it's Christmas, Jesus came, and one of the things Jesus came and brought with him when he came was this idea of adoption. But before we do that, and because it's Christmas, and before I read uh, the passage, I thought we'd play a little game. Right, you'll have to click for me, please. doesn't work. So it's, uh, it's filling in the blanks. Right, somebody fill in these blanks. Just so you know, the dashes aren't the right number for the letters because I'm not that sharp. So, somebody fill in these blanks. Very good. Angela got in there quick with jingle. So, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. So, next one. This isn't a carol. Might surprise some people. What's the blank? Somebody fill those in. Driving home for Christmas. Is that Chris Rear? Might be. Might not be. Next one, please. Please fill in the blanks. I wish it could be Christmas every day. Something like that. Splendid and tremendous. Next one. Right. This is getting us swiftly in a like, perfectly smooth segue that you haven't noticed into the passage we're going to look at. So can anyone tell me what the blanks are in that verse from the Bible? Excellent. Not only can Joan give out presents, do Cossack dancing, she can fill in that there, which is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know where it's from? Yes? Brilliant. Excellent. Romans 8. I forgot to bring any sweets, but you can have some sweets later. <laughs> you can buy them at the shop yourself. Uh, yeah, so it's, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's Romans 8, verse 1. Now the next one isn't a passage from the Bible, but it's very strictly related to, uh, to today. So if you want to click us on. Yeah, excellent. So this is sort of what we're thinking about today. If you... Dot, 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 there's quite a lot of them. You are sons of God. Any idea what, well, there's lots of answers you could fill in those blanks there. Any idea? Somebody give me an idea. What could fill in that blank? If you believe in Jesus, you are sons of God. Excellent. Any other ideas? It's all very quiet on the Western Front. Um, any other thoughts? I'll cut my losses and move on. So that's, a, so that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about who are the sons of God? Why are people sons of God? And there's, there is a verse in, in Romans that talks about this. Um, so I'll read you the passage and then see if you can pick out the few words in, in Romans there that gives the answer to this, this little bit here. We're only going to read a few verses from Romans 8. So if you find, I've not got one of the church Bibles, so I don't know the page number. So it's Romans 8, and we're just going to read verses 12 through 17. Uh, so first one to find it can shout out the page number. 1134. We have it at the front. So 1134 in the Red Church Bibles. Thank you. 
Okay, so uh, the Apostle Paul's writing to uh, the church in Rome, and he says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. So, any ideas what might fill in the blanks from the passage in Romans? Yeah, you're led by the Spirit. You are sons of God. Yep, yeah, the other one in there is if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and that's which is by the power of the Spirit, you are sons of God. So we'll think a bit, a bit about some of that, that today. So, do you want to click us on to the next slide? That'll just be the overview. Excellent. That's great. So, um, so thinking of this idea of adoption, and it's, um, it's talked about sort of sometimes by theologians, the idea of being taken into God's family. But I was thinking about this, and in the Bible, as kind of looking at it as a big picture, not like fine detail, there are basically two families in the Bible. You can probably think of loads of families that were in the Bible, but, but like big picture, there were two families. There are two families spoken of in the Bible. And there are two heads of these two families. There's one family, which the head of that family is Adam, and there's the other family, and the head of that family is Jesus. So the Bible says that all people are born into Adam's family. We're all like born from Adam, we kind of all descend from Adam, so naturally we're born in Adam's family. But the other thing is, you can be adopted, and you can be, if you want, uh, reborn into Jesus' family. So there are two families talked of in the Bible. So there's Adam's family, and there's Jesus' family. And ultimately, there'll be some family likeness um, but we'll get on to that a bit later on. So if you're, the Bible talks, if people are in Adam, they're people who, they, they haven't had their sins forgiven, they live uh, in a sinful world, in a, in a sinful way. They might be really nice people, but all the kind of choices they make and things they do at some point will be tainted a little bit by sin. And for those people who live in Jesus' family, their life will start to resemble the life of Jesus. Their life will um, show forgiveness, show mercy, show compassion, hopefully in ever-increasing measure as they get to know Jesus better and better. So if we click on. Excellent. So I thought we'll quick think about what adoption was like when Paul was writing um, before we start. So it turns out that adoption in Roman society was fairly common. It was fairly common that somebody would be adopted in Roman society. Um, but it was the majority of the time, the people who were adopted would have been adults. We don't really adopt adults in our society because we kind of think adults can look after themselves we'll adopt the children who can't look after themselves and help them uh, go on to you know, achieve things that they wouldn't have been able to before because they didn't have parents but in Roman society they'd often adopt adults and only males could be adopted in Roman society so like, in today's world that's like oh, could you imagine if a government said we're going to carry on with adoption but only males there'd be a, you know, a PC uproar um, politely or unpolitely as it would probably be so yeah you could only adopt males, and it was often adults. And I think there are basically 
two reasons why people would adopt and why they'd adopt like male adults. So the first one of these options is either you were a, a family or a couple who either didn't have any children or only had girl children, girls. Um, so that's the first option. So you only had, you had no or just girls. Uh, the other option is that you may have had some boys, but they were a bit stupid. That's basically, as far as I can tell, they're the basic options. Because people would tend to kind of run their own business. They'd kind of, you know, make a, a living for themselves. And the parents who had a good business and it was making money and, they want, and their name was attached to it, they wouldn't want their business to go under as soon as they died because that wouldn't look great. Or they wouldn't kind of, if you imagine a millionaire who gives his entire empire to his idiot son and he just goes and spends it on, I don't know, like, what, 100 million penny sweets. Had a million, uh, that, that would be tremendous, if you ask me. You could probably just about fill this building with 100 million penny sweets, and I would love that. So you can go to work today, but you'll have to eat your way through the sweets. Ah, oh, tragic. So if anyone's got a million pounds and they want to buy 100 million penny sweets, please just drop them off uh, tomorrow. So yeah, so if you had, if you had mm-hmm. a business, you might want to adopt a male adult who you would then leave your business to. So you might find someone with a good bit of business sense and you think, actually, I, I can kind of provide something more for you. I can adopt you into my family. You can look after my other children. You can provide for them. But you are going to take my family name and you're going to take my family business and you're going to run with it and you're going to keep it going. And it turns out, actually, some of the Caesars were adopted. They weren't necessarily the natural uh, children of the Caesar that was before them. They were, they were adopted. And something else that I was quite struck by, in Roman society, when somebody adopted somebody else, their old life, the life that they'd kind of grown up with up to that point, legally didn't exist anymore. It was just taken, it was kind of like ripped out of the, the register or whatever they had. They'd, like if you went now, they'd have to go to all your records at the hospital, at the, you know, in the town hall, and they'd just click delete. Your old life legally didn't exist. I don't know if that meant you could do lots of crimes get adopted and that person didn't exist and you kind of got off. That's uh, something we could think about if we want to do lots of crimes, which I'm sure we don't. But also, if your old life legally no longer existed, you, you had no claim on your previous inheritance. So if, you're, yeah, if your family were not all that wealthy and you were being adopted into a wealthy family, you leave behind your old name, you leave behind your old life, you get a new family, a new life, and you get an enormous inheritance if you're going into a wealthy family, which would be the kind of normal way it would work. So that's how it worked uh, for the Romans when Paul was writing this. But I think when we think about God's adoption of people in the New Testament, it's a little bit different. It was really interesting that Rob said he became a Christian at the age of 11, and in Roman society that wouldn't necessarily have been, he wouldn't have been an adult at 11. But I don't think God really minds how old people are when they come to know him. He doesn't mind if they're young, old, in between, off either end. He doesn't mind how old you are when you come to know him. So God will take anyone of any age. Uh, if they're male or female, it doesn't matter. If it, the Bible says if you're a slave or a free, it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter where you come from in the entire world. God is willing to adopt you. Another difference between the Roman society and God's adoption, I think, is that in Roman society, you'd be adopted if you had good credentials. If you had, like, you know, a bit of business savvy about you, if you were fairly sharp, you know, you could be adopted. You don't have to be sharp or have any kind of great business instincts. You don't have to have any of that for God to think, 
I want to adopt that person. It doesn't matter if you, you, know, if you either are or think you are the simplest person in the entire world. God is willing to adopt you. But then, similarly, with God and the Roman idea, when God adopts someone, their old life dies and then they have a new life with God. So that, that life of, um, that before they knew God, the life that was uh, sinful and it didn't know Jesus, it didn't have um, God at the centre, that old life dies and they're given a whole new life to live that they're going to work out with God. The next thing is, like the Romans, they're going to gain an inheritance. But it's not going to be you know, just a few more quid in the bank. It's going to be something absolutely enormous and amazing. And the last thing is that God's adoption unlike Roman adoption because the Roman Empire is gone now God's adoption is still available to you and me so I'll think about it in three topics briefly uh, and then we'll close with some final thoughts so what does it mean to be adopted by God well for starters it means you go from one family you go from the family of Adam to the family of Jesus and your inheritance goes from that of death and torment and hell to eternal life eternal joy and wonderful life with Jesus it's just like really different contrast some people really like the things of this world as Christians we want to really like the things uh, that God intends for us to like in this world and that will last into eternity so what is adoption with God like okay so if you click on hopefully this will work great so the first thing is when we think of adoption into God's family, fear is removed. So that's the first thing. So, so what is the fear that is removed? Well, so we read from Romans 8. So the first verse in Romans 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So that's the first bit. And then Romans 8.15 says... If you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So before somebody meets Jesus, before somebody uh, has their sins forgiven, before they live uh, under Christ, whether they know it or not, and most people you meet, there's very few people you meet that aren't Christians that aren't afraid of death. People are worried about what's going to come, what's going to happen to them after they die. But when you meet Jesus and your sins are forgiven and there's no condemnation for you now through Christ, the fear of death disappears. The fear that one day God's wrath is going to be poured out on you disappears. The fear of what will happen to me when I die disappears because through Jesus, through the Spirit, we have the, the, uh, the promise that God has adopted me into his family. And because of that, He's going to make sure that I am with him forever. He's going to make sure that, that I'm kept safe from God's wrath and God's wrath is dealt with. And he'll make sure that for eternity I get to spend my life as a child of God. Which is something that just sounds, it kind of sounds too good to be true. So as English people, we kind of think, oh, it's too good to be true, but I, in my head I kind of agree with it. So I won't even smile when I read it, just in case you know, somebody thinks I've got emotions. But when we think about it and we think, if this is true, I've been adopted into God's family, I am now a child of the king, that makes us people who are going to be like princes and princesses in God's world. Isn't it amazing that God is willing 
to adopt you and me. And we know what our sins are like. We know what we're really like on the inside. Some other people don't. Even those close to us don't know the kind of full extent of things that we think and that we do. But God knows that and he's willing to adopt us into his family and make us his and kind of give us his name. So that's the first thing on there. So our fear is removed. What else? Um, it says in, in 15, uh, the verse 15, it says, If you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. So before we meet Jesus, before God's spirit is in us, we're people who are bound, we're people who are bound like slaves to, to sin and to fear which is a terrible thought really, but uh, that's how the Bible describes it. Before we meet Jesus, we're in a kind of spiritual prison, uh, wrapped up and bound by sin. Apart from God, our free will, our, our ability to make free choices is kind of taken, it's, it's not as free as people think it is, because they're bound to sin. They're kind of like, yeah, almost, they're given to sin in their, their natural way. So when they make a free choice, it's actually tainted by sin until they come to know Jesus. And something that I've been kind of challenged by and have uh, chatted through with uh, one of my friends who, who absolutely loves the book of Romans is the idea that when it says there is now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus, you're no longer enslaved um, to the kind of result of sin, which is death and hell, but you're no longer enslaved to the power of sin. So can I borrow you a second, Rob? I should have given you some notes of this. So, um, which way around should we do this? Okay, I'll do it the, the vaguely polite way. So you, in this instance, can be uh, the Christian. So you, Rob, is Christian. Uh, if you've read John Bunyan's book, that's who Rob's pretending to be, John Bunyan. Um, so, so Rob is John Bunyan, who's a Christian. So before somebody is a Christian, sin effectively has hold of people like this. Look like you're sad. Great. So, before you're a Christian, you're bound, you're trapped, you've been got by the throat by sin. But, when somebody becomes a Christian, they aren't. However, sometimes we find that we have sins that we can't, that we really struggle to get rid of. So what we choose to do, oh, just to clarify, in that illustration, I was sin. But, when you become a Christian, you think, I've got really, I really can't deal with this. We choose, yeah, Sometimes, as a Christian, we choose to grab hold of sin. You can sit down now. Thank you, Rob. So, sometimes, before we're a Christian, we have been got round the neck by sin. But when we are freed through Jesus, sin has no power over us. It can't determine our destiny. It can't determine what we do. But sometimes, we give ourselves over to sin just because it's, we sometimes think, I really, I can't deal with that. I can't stop myself committing that same sin. But actually, what we do is, we grab sin by the neck and think, if I let go of this, I don't know what's going to happen because this is how I've been used to been living my whole life. And, but actually, we choose to grab hold of sin. And it's the same for all of us. We, we kind of choose to enslave ourselves uh, to sin sometimes. But hopefully, as we grow with Jesus, the fear of death, the fear of God's wrath is removed. We have to gradually learn to, uh, to be able to put sin to death in our old life, in, in, our, in our new life. Our old life is dead that is uh, tainted by sin. But a new life can be the one where we gradually start to put sin itself to death. So if we click on. So firstly, in adoption, fear is removed. Secondly, intimacy is restored. 
Once we're adopted into God's family and the fear of God is gone, we can now respond to God in the way that originally people were made to. We can respond to God in the way that Jesus does. And here it says, you did not receive a spirit of fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. There's two other times in the Bible where um, Abba, Father is mentioned. One of those is in Galatians, a bit, a bit further on. But the first time Abba, Father comes up in the Bible is where Jesus is wholly dependent on God in a kind of really uh, vivid and dramatic way. And it's in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays before he's taken to be crucified, um, you know, take this cup from me. And it's at that point that he cries out, Abba, Father. And that's what Paul is saying here, that if we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, the way that we can respond to God is the same as how Jesus responded in the Garden of Gethsemane. We can respond to God out of a dire situation and just say, Father, help me in this. And it's, it's just amazing that that's the language he uses. He could have said, he could have just said, and we can cry, Father. But he chooses to say, Abba, Father, because that's when Jesus shouts out from the Garden of Gethsemane before he's taken and killed. And our intimacy with God can grow as we take on the character of children of God. But I thought, so what, what does a son of God really look like, according to this passage? And in here it says, the son of God is someone who is putting to death the misdeeds of the body. Someone who's kind of dealing with their sin. Someone who's, who's kind of on the attack against it. And I think the picture that this gives of somebody who is a son of God is a picture of someone who is basically a soldier. Someone who says, there is an issue, and the issue is sin, and I want to put that to death. The character of a Christian or the son of God is someone who is a soldier, a soldier against their own sin. Which sounds you know, quite scary almost. It's this idea that, that we look at ourselves and think, actually, there are things in my life that I do, and... And the things in there that I really don't like, I don't think God likes. In fact, I'm certain that God doesn't like them. And he's shown me that through his spirit. And I want to take on the character of a soldier now so that I can almost go on the offensive to say, how can I get myself to a position where I'm not letting myself be tempted by certain different things? And we're not going to be perfect at that in this life. But the character of a son of God is somebody who is a soldier against their own sin. And I think it's such a challenge to think, am I willing to put myself through the kind of personal, almost torment that that will be, picking out sins in my own life and, and going after them with a machine gun and trying to get rid of some of the sins uh, that I do continually. But that's, that's what God wants us to be like. He wants us to be people who are serious about our own sin, who take it seriously and realise actually that our sin has been dealt with. If we're a Christian, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ yet he wants us to grow in family likeness. If we spend time with God, we'll gradually become more and more like Jesus. And that's what he's after. We'll grow in our family likeness. We're not enslaved to the power of sin, and we're not enslaved to the result of sin as God's children. So sin no longer has the power to make us do certain things. We can't just say, when we slip up, oh, you know, the devil made me do it, or, oh, that's my sin. Sometimes I've, I've talked to people and they've said, I mean, yeah, I still do that, but that's my sin. Like they've got a dog on a lead, you know, it's, that's Freddy. He's a, he's a golden retriever, and he's my sin. You know, I, you know I, I, all the other sins, 
they're horrid and nasty. This one, the one I really struggle with, you know, he's fine. I, I just have that one sin and all the rest. I'll deal with all the rest. But I, won't, I won't kill my dog. You know, I'm not suggesting that we should go home and kill our dog. But we, we have, sometimes people have sins that they kind of pet and keep and nurture and let them carry on. They don't deal with certain sins in their lives just because it's going to be hard, it's going to be painful. But the character of a son of God is to try and put to death the misdeeds of the body, to be a soldier against our own sin. And sometimes it's really difficult because we get really used to whatever they are. We get really uh, you know, affectionate towards them like, uh, well, like people do their pets. And we just kind of let them grow and carry on. But God wants us to put those sins to death. Okay, if we'll click on to the last branch. So I've had uh, fears removed, intimacies restored, and the last one is an inheritance is received. So in verse 17 of uh, Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, Now if we are children, then we are heirs. And he doesn't stop there. He says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. It's amazing that, that Paul puts us in the position in our Christian life, if we're adopted into God's family, we're not just kind of, you know, the, the, the child in the family who's the least favourite or, or the one that you know, we've took pity on and just kind of, we let them sleep in the garden. It's if you are adopted into God's family, you're no longer an outsider, but you are an insider to the extent that you are a co-heir with Jesus that we are, you know, brothers and sisters with Jesus. That's where God puts us when he takes us into his family. Which is amazing. If you think, if you ever kind of have one of those days and you think, oh, I'm just, I'm a a nobody. I'm just a waste of space. It would be better for the whole world if I wasn't here. But Paul says here, that as soon as you are a child of God, not only are you exceedingly valuable because you're made in God's image that God loves you and he cares for you and he wants you in his family alongside Jesus he doesn't want you kind of beneath him he wants you to be a co-heir with Jesus so ultimately we'll share in the inheritance that Jesus has which is it's quite an amazing thing isn't it that we will share in Jesus inheritance but what is that I think part of it is ultimately Jesus is going to inherit the earth and we're going to be there with him if we know and love him and it says in the Beatitudes doesn't it, the meek will inherit the earth God's disciples are going to be there with Jesus when he inherits the earth the earth is going to be, one day it will be, be wrapped up a final judgment will happen and, and God will restore the earth to be a new earth and a new heavens and in that Jesus will be in charge and we will be alongside him uh, working and living in the new earth ultimately we're not going to become like ethereal, floaty things. People often have this idea that one day I'll go to heaven and it'll be lovely. I'll kind of sit on a cloud or I'll float around. I'll not have any legs. And, you know, we'll just eat Philadelphia and play harps and it'll be really nice. The Bible has no picture of heaven to be a kind of floaty, wafty place at all. The Bible says that one day God's going to wrap up the earth and he's going to redeem it, reshape it and make all things perfect and new. And because of that, we're going to have redeemed and restored bodies that are perfect. 
some of the people that, that I've uh, read and listened to this week get really excited about this verse and say things like, in the new creation, when there's a new heavens and a new earth, I mean, I can't be 100% sure on this, but my body's going to need to be redeemed so that my tongue works better. There's going to be new flavors. My eyes will work better. There'll be new colors. You know, there'll be new animals. There'll be all sorts of amazing things. I don't know where they get that from, but it sounds tremendous, the idea that my body is not going to be capable of living in the new earth until it is redeemed. I hope there are new flavors and new colors. Can you imagine what a new color would look like? Not yet. But maybe one day we'll know what new colors look like. So we'll have redeemed bodies that live on a new earth under Jesus' rule. So ultimately what will happen is the earth will be remade. Jesus will be the perfect Adam that Adam was meant to be and we'll live alongside him as his brothers and sisters under God's rule. But before that, I mean, that sounds great. And we could, like, if Paul had stopped there, you know, you could kind of sit back and breathe a massive sigh of relief and think, this is, that's great. You know, Christianity is brilliant, isn't it? All my troubles are going to be dealt with and I'm going to live in a great place and I'm going to be able to taste whatever that new fruit is and I'll see uh, the colour between red and pink, um, if that's how it's going to be. But he doesn't. He says, we will share, we'll be co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So Jesus' glory will be the new heavens and the new earth where all the people that Jesus died to save are with him, that people are loving God, they're not sinning, they're living out God's rule perfectly in the new heavens and the new earth. And we'll be there with him. That'll be Jesus' amazing glory. But we get to share in his sufferings before that happens. That's a bit that we don't really want to hear uh, because nobody really likes to suffer. But it says, if we indeed share in his sufferings, in order that we will also share in his glory. So the job of the Christian today is not only to put to death the misdeeds of the body as the sons of God, but to share the gospel with those people who we know, who we love, who we find it difficult to talk to about Christian things. We get to go out and we get to tell them that actually Jesus loves you that much that he died for you so that you could be bought and brought into his family. That's what Jesus wants us to do. And at times that's going to cause us to suffer. People are going to think we're stupid, People are going to look at you and think, that's just ridiculous. You know, you may lose friends. Sometimes families get really upset about these things. But that is the job of the Christian. Put to death the misdeeds of the body. Deal with the sin that, that we live with day by day. And share the gospel as we go and do that. So ultimately, we get the choice of which family we live in. We either live under Adam and live under death and curse with an eternity of hell. We live under the family of Jesus, adopted into God's family. And we share in an eternity of joy, of beauty, of you know, maybe new colours and new flavours and all those sorts of things. But we live in perfect relationship with God for eternity. So I've got two questions for you as we finish. The first one is, are you a child of God? Do you know God as your father and Jesus as your brother? If you don't, then I would urge you to say, God, please adopt me. Please deal with my sin, adopt me into your family and let me live as part of your family now and into eternity. And if you are a child of God, my second question for you is this. Are you growing in family likeness? Are you actively putting to death the misdeeds of the body? Are you continuing to to seek out sins and to to try and deal with them with God's help by the Spirit to, to put those things to death? so that you become and you start to look more and more like Jesus. 
I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? When you look around, you can say, uh, you can say, yeah, aren't you so-and-so's kid? Because you look a bit similar. Hannah bumped into somebody the other day, and they went, are you, are you Jennifer's daughter? You look just like her. And she never quite knows how to deal with that. But, um, but yeah, well, her mum's called Jennifer, so they were right. But if we are the children of God, we're putting to death the misdeeds of the body, they'll be growing in family likeness. And that is the challenge that I want to leave you with. So Jesus came uh, to bring adoption, uh, along with many other things. So I'll pray and then we'll sing a final song. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that he is your perfect son. And Father, we thank you that that's not all uh, that you want. Father, thank you that you want to adopt each and every one of us. Father, thank you that uh, the sins that we, that we commit, they upset you and they, uh, they, they cause uh, difficulty in our relationship. Father, I thank you that at the cross Jesus dealt with all those sins. Father, I thank you that the power and the result of sin are broken at the cross. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to first of all be willing to confess our sins and to cry out for you for the help that we need that you would adopt us into your family. And Father, secondly, we pray that you would help us to be put into death the misdeeds of the body. Help us to grow in the family likeness of Jesus. Help us to become more and more like the one that we love and serve. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Father, we pray that at this Christmas time as well, you'd help us to really remember um, that it's all about him. Father, we thank you that uh, the adoption that Jesus brought is just a tremendous present that he offers to each and every one of us. Father, I pray you'd help us. If, uh, if people who don't believe that they would grab hold of that and they would, they would cry out to Jesus for forgiveness and they would be adopted into your family. And Father, I pray that as a church, you'd help us to grow and to become more and more like him. Amen.